Hey, Keurig coffee drinkers. Did you know that the bold, smooth taste of Dunkin' cold coffee can be brewed in your Keurig coffee maker and enjoyed at home? Dunkin's cold K-cup pods were crafted to be brewed hot and enjoyed cold. And of course, they're packed with the Dunkin' flavor you crave. Brew over ice and sip in seconds. Because the home with Dunkin' is where you want to be. Sometimes your cat can be a mystery, like when they get so attached to certain cardboard boxes. <laughs> but when you use Fresh Step Cat Litter, there's no question that you're making your cat happy, thanks to amazing odor control. Fresh Step Clumping Cat Litters prevent stinky crumbles and make scooping easy by locking in liquid and odor immediately. That means you can keep your house clean and your bond strong. There's no mystery here. Find Fresh Step Cat Litter at a store near you. Fresh Step is a registered trademark of the Clorox Pet Products Company. Certain trademarks used under license from the Procter & Gamble Company or its affiliates. I'm just a simple grizzled man and I gotta get across the country with this little girl and oh fuck oh it's hard being a dad anywho How's it going over there? How you doing, little girl? What? I gotta be Ellie? How you doing, little girl? How's it going, little girl? Uh, things are alright, I guess. <laughs> I love, um, I love my friends and being snarky and, uh, being genetically resistant to the plague that destroyed humanity, but oops! Ah, you wouldn't understand. You're just a little girl, I'd... Anyways, let me go wrangle. Let me go murder these zombies over here. For, I'm sorry, clickers. Listen, do you need me to collect a health pack or not? <laughs> all right? Do you need the fucking health pack or not, old man? I just want to get fucking drunk. Oh, <laughs> this sucks. Going across the country. Oh, that way. Having a terrible time. Hey, Bruiser hey. Holden McNeely. <laughs> I, I want to be Joel for a second. Okay, you be Joel. You be Joel. Little, I'm kind of butchering it. A little bit of a southern drawl, but. I, it sounds like I smoked, but like only a little. And uh, I'm definitely not just what a very handsome man in his 20s thinks a grizzled old man sounds like. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful stuff. And of course, today we are Wizard, wizard, Jake. There, I remembered. People have been calling us out online that we keep forgetting. Yes. Okay, there you go. Good. Yeah, yeah. We're getting, we're, you know, it's we've been, we've been into our years and our cups. With this show, so it's it's you know we forget sometimes to, to actually call ourselves a bruiser and a wizard, but uh, very excited today to talk about the excited. Is that the word? No, Holden, <laughs> Holden, Holden. Let me tell you. Let me just get it right off the bat. We're covering The Last of Us, uh, the uh, Naughty Dog Sony uh, first party AAA zombie dystopian, yet oddly hopeful, then really not hopeful, then kind of hopeful uh, story. And it's, uh, it's journey, it's predominance in the cultural landscape. And uh, le let me tell you, let me tell you, uh, it's, it's bad. It's bad. I don't know. I, or, sorry. Qualitatively. Qualitatively, it's great. Experientially, Holden, I'm miserable enough, okay? I am already sad and world-weary and, and just absolutely bombarded with guilt and uh, just like ex existential dread. And all I want to do is play a video game, Holden. I just want to play a fun video game <laughs> and I want to shoot guys in the brain and I want like points to go up and I don't need to like watch the life leave a man's eyes as his friends no, go like, Jerry, Jake, no. Jerry, no. They got Jerry, his daughter. 
daughter was going to get bought yeah. mitzvahed later. <laughs> Fuck no. You're, like, you're it's of course so talking about miserable. The, you're talking about the AI in the sequel, which is blew my mind when it first came out with that stuff. <laughs> oh, Look, I'm shot in the leg. Oh, tell my daughter I love her so much. Oh, Cindy, God. No, a- or, or like when there's the last guy in the room yeah. and he gives up and there's literally no option besides shove a spike in his brain anyway. <laughs> and of course, I love, I love, uh, I love stories in which uh, any and all organizations and groups of people can't be trusted. I love uh, the just how societies fa- watching societies fall apart due to diseases and political strife. I love looking at uh, 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 destroyed buildings and, and recollecting on more peaceful times. <laughs> These are great things. These are what a fun game I've been playing this whole time. Because Jake, it's not for kids anymore. Video games have grown up. We've all become dads. We've all stared down the void. We've all understood that life is futile and meaningless. You might as well slam your face into a brick wall until you pass out rather than have a Tuesday. I want to download a mod for this game. I've been playing uh, The Last of Us uh, Part 1, the the H- the 4K remake on PC. I'm going to download a mod that replaces Joel with Crash Bandicoot. Okay? <laughs> I just... I need something happy to happen. And then he just blows his brains out. He's like, I hate being a bandicoot. You're like, what? What is that? That's not in the game. Yeah, man. This this whole franchise is heavy, but absolutely beautiful. Can bring tears to the eye. Oh. It has given me some of the more meaningful video game moments narratively that I've encountered. And moments in television. Mm-hmm. That third episode, we'll talk about it. But that third episode is like one of the most beautiful hour-long episodes of, like, prestige TV I've ever seen in my life. I mean, and it's I, just- Holden, I know this really resonates with you because you can't stop talking to me about that time your dad took you to that big field full of giraffes. Absolutely. You know, uh, you, you were on the cusp of manhood, and you were you, your father was like, come here, boy, I gotta show you well, something. And it was just- I will say, and I'm glad, you know, I love that moment in the game so much. What Jake is referring to is in the first game, because- One of the things that was novel to me when this first game came out initially in, what, 2014, was like, oh, this is an interesting concept because, yes, it's post-apocalyptic, which we've dealt with a million times in video games, but it's not just post-apocalyptic. It's like there's lush greenery overtaking these cities because we're a decade down the road or more. There's years and years have passed, and and the world is, like, healing and whatever and, like... You know, becoming like it coming, going back to returning to nature in all these ways. In that moment, when Ellie sees the giraffe, is all the animals from like the zoo? Is it San Diego? All the animals from the zoo uh, are freed. Is it? I don't know. But either way, they're all released, and she has this like intimate moment with the giraffe, and that's what. Intimate moment with the giraffe sounds weird. I'm not talking, but she doesn't have sex with <laughs> the giraffe. Leave it in the episode. <laughs> Leave it in the episode. She doesn't do that to a giraffe. Any of that. Any of the weird images you have in your head now of of what's going on with that giraffe and that female character <laughs> is not actually what's happening in the game. And um, I love that moment so much because it's not this big twist. It's not this big oh shit moment. It's this subtle, beautiful, simple thing that happens that brings emotion, that really like kind of it kind it, it's all inspiring, you know and and I think this game d- does a lot of big splashy things, but I think it also does some really good subtle 
like emotional things, especially with the ending. I mean, if you're not familiar with the ending of the first game, it's again, it's like a small moment, but there's so much going on between the lines and the like final conversation, I guess I'll say. And then <laughs> the second game is like someone hitting you in the head with a hammer for 30 hours or whatever. All right. I'm not going to lie. Second game is like, second game is a bit of an endurance challenge. And especially because I think most of us played it in the middle of pandemic. Yeah. So like, and, and in a last of us way, we'd like gotten used to pandemic by this point. Like we're all world where everyone's beards have grown out. their hair's long? You know, Bo Burnham's like about like a three fourths of the way through <laughs> writing in uh, uh, inside or whatever, and uh, yeah, it, it it came at a kind of a rough time for us to be experiencing it. But in a way, for me, you know, I talked about this before. Like, if I'm going through a breakup, like yes, yeah, sometimes I want to hear happy songs to get me out of that headspace. But usually, I want to lean into it. I want to lean into the pain and the sadness and the mm. despair. So. I'm listening to breakup songs. No, not me. fucking give me the ether rag. Right. Let me put throw me in the happy box. Right. Let me just shut all those feelings down and then I can have it I can I can uh you know release those negative feelings in a much more appropriate setting which is um in the parking lot outside of a Yankees game at 3 a.m. That's <laughs> where me and the other we call ourselves the Mad Big Boys <laughs> and it's kind of like Fight Club but nobody knows how to throw a punch. It's actually right, right. like if you play Benny Hill music, it would be it would look like it would be kind of silly sped up, but all of us are crying while it happens. So so yeah, I, I like kind of I really appreciated it in a way, but it was man rough. That whole that whole game is revenge is bad. Uh, it's you know that whole game is like seeing both sides of a thing, and and everybody's you know everybody's kind of a good guy, and everybody's a bad guy, and it's just like so despairing. And then the show comes out, and I was like, no, what are they going to do with it? You know, I I can see how this would adapt well to a show, but then it just constantly surprised (laughs) with how strong the acting is and the writing and everything. Um, It's just, it's a really, like, kind of miraculous series because by the time it came out, I was, I and a lot of people were pretty over zombie shit in general, but it found a way to like speak to us and stand out as a zombie thing and just really hit us in these like really amazing ways well, narratively. As a video game purist, Holden, and obviously I've told you, every, everybody listening to the show knows Jake Young, video game purist. Yes. I was upset that the show didn't involve Pedro Pascal walking kind of hunched over on his knees, crab walk style, uh, choking out 800 adult <laughs> men, which is really what I feel is more important to the Last of Us experience right. is watching a man in his early 50s with superhuman knees that can just crouch walk <laughs> for mile upon mile at a time right. with no uh, negative consequences, which is really what the true it's a knee based power fantasy. If having right. played The Last of Us. You even said they should have called this game Knees, which I was like, that's <laughs> insane, Jake. You've clearly lost your As mind. As someone with knee problems, I just <laughs> got to say, just getting to embody this magical 50-year-old man that can walk, crouch walk anywhere in- infinitely was just super exhilarating. That's really what I'm walking away from. Jake decided to send me his notes ahead of time, <laughs> and I had to politely ask him to cut the 
tab after tab of just <laughs> knee research that he underwent in preparation for this episode. It was really unsettling. You have to understand, the meniscus alone would have been shredded within the first hour of gameplay. Just eat bananas, Jake. Just eat, in fact, April, hit it! There you go, some levity, Jake, in an otherwise... All I want to do is crouch walk without pain and throw bottles at wall. That's <laughs> well, what I want. we're going to do that for the next hour to <laughs> 10 to 20 minutes here on the Wizard and the Bruiser podcast as we talk about The Last of Us, a horror action adventure franchise created by Naughty Dog and Sony Interactive Entertainment. It is set in a post-apocalyptic America and with zombies and a fungus infection. Mm. The game follows Joel, voiced by Troy Baker, and a young girl named Ellie, voiced by Ashley Johnson, as they attempt to bring Ellie, who is immune to the fungus, to a lab across the country and try to save the planet. The first game was directed by Bruce Straley and Neil Druckmann, and it has led to a sequel and a popular HBO live-action series, which we'll also get into. But first, I know we already covered it in a full-on other episode literally called Naughty Dog, that I feel like we have to set the scene a little bit here. Let's establish a brief history of Naughty Dog, okay. and then we'll get into old Neil Druckmann, uh, the man, the myth, the legend. Now, I know what you're thinking. I God, I hope they talk about the 3DO. Yes. I know. Everybody's like, when are they going to get to the when goddamn will we 3DO? We'll get Way there. Way of the Warrior we'll on the 3DO. <laughs> also, will we talk about a Naughty Dog, a dog that's horny and weird? Maybe. Who knows? What we'll talk about. I mean, looking at their original logos, yes, <laughs> the dog is. Yeah, horny. why does he have that? It's like you can't put a dog with a giant human looking boner on the cover of a, <laughs> you know, video of a 3D, you know, cartoon character you're video game. You're joking, but look up original Naughty <laughs> Dog logo, and there is some Joe Camel ass <laughs> filth happening with this dog's face. All right. Well, anyways, move it right along. Jason Rubin and Andy Gavin met at the age of 12 in a pre-bar mitzvah class and became fast friends as they were both into video games they played on their Apple II computers, as well as even dabbling in programming on their own. And this led to the game Math Jam. Math Jam came out in 1984 when the boys were just 14 years old, and they decided to self-publish this as Jam, that was what they called their uh, dev company at this time, which stood for Jason and Andy's Magic, and they shopped it around at schools nearby them, and uh, they they were able to sell some copies a little bit to kind of get things rolling on a very basic level, but they then turned their focus away from educational material, and they put out Ski Crazed in 1986. And from the minor success of this game, they managed to keep forging ahead, doing this very DIY thing, and it gets them in the door at Electronic Arts. They actually cold-called EA, by the way, at the age of 17. These are some real fucking self-starters. Mm -hmm. And under EA, they changed their name to Naughty Dog and put out a decent success called Keith the Thief. Uh, then they put out their first console game with Rings of Power for the Sega Mega Drive. Just for the record, like, Keith the Thief is kind of a, like, fun, cartoony, kind of point-and-click, adventure first-person thing. Uh, it's kind of a heavy-handed parody of, like, very nerdy RPG tropes of the time. And then they go the opposite direction with Rings of Power, which is 
such an involved game with mm. like so much strategy and character development and like stat management that it like the idea that like there was a kid I, I just I just can't imagine an actual child with their cool seg you know their their Madden and Sonic the Hedgehog machine getting this game and just being like fuck uh, which arm bracers do I give which ranged character god damn it like it is an incredibly like nerdy and and just involved game that has like the idea that this is where Crash Bandicoot comes from is kind of hilarious. And that it was published by EA at the time. Mm. It's such a weird little, like, footnote in gaming history, Rings of Power. Yeah, and, uh, you know, that that whole experience actually put a bad taste in their mouth with EA. They didn't like EA's oversight, the control. They wanted more creative freedom, things of that nature. Uh, so at this point... They're like still kids, so they took a brief pause in the company. They go finish college, and they are later seduced by Trip Hawkins, original founder of EA, to develop a game on the 3DO. The two dudes were ready to move over to CDs. They really did not like developing on cartridges, and they were they knew they they knew that the CDs were going to change everything in gaming. And uh, the result of this deal to work on the 3DO, they created a game called Way of the Warrior. <laughs> Uh, for uh, the 3DO, which was totally a Mortal Kombat knockoff. Uh, very much kind of same kind of graphical qualities, same kind of, a you know, but a, obviously even a higher res on, on a CD-based gaming console. More importantly, unlike Mortal Kombat, it played like hot dog shit. It is listed on many lists as the, like, one of the worst fighting games ever made. <laughs> The roster, let me just double check what the, the 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 roster of this game was. We got Major Gains, uh Shaky Jake. Based off you, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That cocaine addiction. A bunch of like just very generic uh stereotypes, uh, including Swami and Nikki Chan and the Ninja. And the entire cast was just Jason Rubin's gym buddies huh. basically wearing pajamas and taking photos in like their lab. It looks so dumb. It looks real dumb. It's and there was a bunch of these like knockoff Mortal Kombat games. And the fact that now what it may be the one dev studio that has like the gold standard of like serious gameplay and cutting edge technical achievements on consoles and like you know these adult plots is got like they're one of their biggest like jumps in uh, company size and notoriety from goddamn way of the warrior will always be funny to me. Yeah, it's kind of amazing, but it really just broke them into creating games on CD, all that good stuff. And with Universal, who's the is who they're working with now, they find more freedom than they had with EA, and it's a huge deal for them. So they move to LA, they form a team out there, and they set out to make their first 3D game for the newly announced. PlayStation, and that game was Crash Bandicoot. And of course, as you probably know, you might have heard of it. Yeah, Crash ends up being like kind of the flagship game for the PlayStation, definitely like their Mario. For sure, um, not as... I mean, as we covered in the uh, original episode, the, the project was originally called, I think, Sonic's Ass. <laughs> yeah. Because the idea was they're trying to do, what if like you had a Sonic game, but you were following in 3D behind him as he yes. ran over the levels. Totally. And it is a huge hit. I mean, it definitely helps move a lot of units on the PlayStation. It's very unique. It works really well for them. And so, yeah, they end up crushing it from there. I mean, you got Crash, you, then they start moving into Uncharted and things like that and getting these, like, 
higher end, you know, giant first party PlayStation exclusive experiences. And wow, just jumping straight over Jack and Daxter, I see. Yeah, Interesting. well, no, Interesting. actually, I am going to talk about old Jack and Daxter as we move over to Neil Druckmann, the other major player here. Druckmann was born in Tel Aviv, Israel, to a Jewish family and ended up in Beit Aha, uh-huh, you say it, Jake. Beit Arya? Ah, yes. Ended up in Beit Arya, a settlement in the West Bank. And this was an intense place to be. A lot of violence going on, a lot of stress in the news. And as an escape, he turned to comic books, video games, and movies, which is also how he learned English. So he later gets to move to the U.S. in 1989, uh, specifically to Miami, Florida, and he initially sought out to study criminology. But he spent his free time playing video games, and while at, hey, Florida State University, my alma mater. What? Yeah. He uh, He worked as a graphics research assistant at FSU's Visualization Lab. And while there, he met some folks with whom he created a video game called Pink Bullet. Uh, and started taking programming classes and eventually started working towards a Bachelor of Computer Science degree. Then he goes to Carnegie Mellon. He gets a master's degree in entertainment technology. This is where he got a lot of education on video game philosophy, how video games could be more important as an art form in society than even they're being treated at the time. Uh, He learns a lot about world building. He learns a lot about... He's kind of having a lot of highfalutin convos and things like that and really looking towards the future of gaming. Do you uh, have the George Romero connection? Yeah, I'm about to get into that oh, real good, quick. Good, good. He does, while he's there, he makes a game uh, for the NES titled Deaky Penguin in TKO for the Third Reich, which is a game about a penguin killing Nazis. <laughs> uh, it's very Ninja Gaiden and Shinobi inspired, but they're just, this kind of got, yeah, I guess it's like maybe kind of a mix between Ninja Gaiden and uh, Wolfenstein almost. Uh, also, while at Carnegie Mellon, he got an assignment to create a game concept around zombies to pitch to George Romero himself, who would choose one. I don't know what he was going to do with it, by the way, when he, uh, but I guess he was going to pick a winner, George yeah. Mar- Romero. It was like a, yeah, class project, yeah. game jam kind of thing where you, I believe the challenge was it is the setting is zombies, but you have to find a uh, non traditional. Uh, narrative and gameplay structure to use with that setting. And as a little extra bit of prestige, Mr. Night of the Living Dead himself will pick a winner from the selection. So the game he comes up with is a mashup of the game Eco uh, with Sin City. And this would really lay, lay the tracks for the future as it was about a father who lost a daughter and a daughter who lost a father working together to survive a zombie apocalypse. And if you remember Eco, I'm sure we talked about it in our Shadow of the Colossus episode because that was the game that preceded Shadow of the Colossus. And it was uh, essentially a like a brother-sister who were working together to solve puzzles uh, and they need each other to get through to traverse these environments. And like one does combat, one doesn't do combat. One can push boxes, another can open doors. Yeah. Like one is player controlled, the other is AI controlled. Yeah, it's all like it really does. You know, all of the ingredients for Last of Us appears during yeah, this like, like initial stage. At least those basic sections where like you're you, you're helping each other to traverse areas, right? Mm-hmm. Like not as much the combat and the story, but. Yeah, he uh, he ends up uh, turning this in. Romero does not choose his idea. Uh, he actually was so into it, though, he ends up trying to turn it into a comic book. He calls it The Turning. He writes a full script for a six-issue miniseries. That pitch is also turned down by comic book publishers, I guess, that he had an in with or something. So it goes dormant. 
And in 2003, he attended the Game Developers Conference. This is how he comes in contact with Jason Rubin at Naughty Dog, who gave a presentation that greatly intrigued Druckmann, who got Rubin's contact info and managed to become the company's first intern. Uh, and really, it kind of sounds like uh, Druckmann was like this annoying, like little nerdy boy that was just like, hey, hey, give me your number. Give me your number. Like it was like in the in the dialogue, it was always like, and then he reluctantly gave him his fucking number. And then I guess he started working there. So for the intern. He worked in various capacities. Jack 3? A little game called... Uh, There's your Jack and Daxter, you bastard. Neil Truckman changed the way we think about video games forever. From the get-go, his revolutionary spirit was on the fucking screen. When he programmed and designed the uh, menu UI for Jack and Daxter Combat Racing. My God. We all... I remember when I was there... Uh, opening that menu system for Jack X Combat Racing on the PlayStation 2. Hell and yeah. I was like, whoever did this is going to go far. <laughs> and then, you know, when that when Jack 3 was completed, he gets a full-time job at Naughty Dog. He then manages to overcome the difficult challenge of moving from a programming role over to a design role by showing his competency working on the game Jack X, and then, which was as uh, pornographic as that title suggests, by the way. <laughs> He was really horny at this time in his life. Jack X I mean, really he, pushed the, some some buttons. The character's name is Jack, man. I know. It's yeah, like exactly. Right there. I mean, that was the thing. So, anyways, yeah. Once he was done with that filth, that fucking abomination. I was always more of a Ratchet and Clank guy myself, <laughs> if I have to be honest. Well, yeah, Clank and that Ratchet. I know what you're talking about. But anyways, my he, God, are they all pornographic? <laughs> yes, Jake. Uh, and so after that, he becomes attached to a new IP, very fortuitous for him. It is titled Uncharted Drake's Fortune. Uh, the team was having some development issues. He gets to work closely with Amy Henning on the story. And for Uncharted 2, he was lead game designer and had a major role in story for that one. This establishes him as one of the top dogs at the company, pun intended. Mm-hmm. And this is how Druckmann also ends up working with Bruce Straley, the other major player for the first game. Straley felt his only talent was drawing when he was young, and so he went to school for it and then moved out to Los Angeles for initially a career in advertising design. But as fate would have it, he landed at a company doing art for video games, which became his full-on career. That company was Westbrook Technologies, Inc. And guess what? Fuck you, Wester. I hate you. He ends up working on that shitty X-Men game oh, that was yeah. so bad in the Sega Genesis. I saw oh, that. I remember Wester. I remember Wester, you pricks. That's amazing. Yeah. Within the first day of research, I watched a very lovely video that came out recently, and it was like a breakdown of The Last of Us. And one of the things they pointed out was Trailer got his start working on the Genesis X-Men game. And I... Forgot about it until now, but I was like, at the time, I was like, hey, I wonder if Holden's going to flip out over that Genesis game again during yeah. the episode. Classically, the video game that caused uh, Henry Zabrowski of the network to destroy his console, to literally throw it across the room and break it into a billion pieces as he was unable to defeat Apocalypse. I couldn't even get to Apocalypse. Or Apocalypse was Apocalypse. No, no, Magneto. Magneto was my boss. I couldn't even get to Magneto. I don't even know how he got that far. Um, it was just so Well, the game awful. takes place entirely in the danger room. Yeah. So, like, it's all fake. The music made me sad. <laughs> all of it made me sad. <laughs> Dunkin' Cold Coffee can be brewed at home in your Keurig coffee maker with Dunkin' Cold K-Cup pods. Just brew it hot over ice and enjoy flavor that's crafted to serve cold. The home with Dunkin' is where you want to be. 
Making your cat happy is a number one priority. Priority number two is keeping a clean litter box. Fresh Step Outstretch Litter helps you do both. Fresh Step Outstretch Litter traps waste at the surface with less crumbles and absorbs more waste and odor compared to Fresh Step Multicat. Find Fresh Step Outstretch Litter at a store near you today. Fresh Step is a registered trademark of the Clorox Pet Products Company. Certain trademarks used under license from the Procter & Gamble Company or its affiliates. Straley later joins Crystal Dynamics and designed for Gex. Enter the Gecko. So you go. We got all the big hitters of this time. Jack and Daxter, Gex. You know, just all the big, the big players in the uh, console uh, mascot game. He eventually becomes game director for the third installment of the series, by the way, uh, on Gex. And uh, co-workers of his defected to Naughty Dog. And this led him to the studio where he was hired to work as an artist on Crash Team Racing in 1999. It was actually quite a fun kart racer. Uh, then the Jack Games. Then Uncharted, Drake's Fortune. Uh, and then he leveled up to game director for Uncharted 2, which is how, of course, he gets a close working relationship with Neil Druckmann, thus setting the stage for The Last of Us. Uh, Amy Henning, uh, legendary games writer, also part of that Crystal Dynamics uh, diaspora that Straley kind of came in with and kind of ingratiated themselves into Naughty Dog. Just side weird fact. Please. So here's a big old quote from Neil Druckmann on how this all got started. When Bruce and I were working on Uncharted 2, we would brainstorm a lot of gameplay scenarios or story scenarios. One of the things we ended up calling The Mute Girl is a sequence of gameplay. Again, this is all just theoretical. Drake was in this war-torn city. He joined this rebel group that was fighting a civil war. They all bed down for the night, and one of the members of the group is this teenage girl who is mute. We started to brainstorm how you would form a bond through gameplay where you can't rely on dialogue. She would shake Drake awake in the middle of the night and motion for him to follow her. She'd start climbing up buildings and jumping gaps and you're following her and seeing that she's excited. She really wants to share something with you. As you're climbing up on this rooftop of this building, you get to see a vista over the whole city as it's lit up. You hear gunfire and stuff in the distance, but it's this really beautiful moment that you get to share with this character all through gameplay. That idea stuck in the back of our minds when we started discussing our next project. That morphed into a question. Could you build an entire game around the concept of meeting a character really early on and forming a bond that would evolve and shift as you see all the facets that a deep relationship between two people can have? And they knew early on that they wanted to have this character who was a shell of himself for the past 20 years and a girl character that would bring the humanity back out of him, who would harden over time due to his influence and eventually their roles would reverse, which is, I mean, wonderfully executed, I must say, in that their video game. I mean, it is, it's crazy. That, that is really what they give you in that experience. And of course, you see the line, though, from his eco game yeah. that he pitched to George Romero way back when as well. So, like, the seas are always there. But it's interesting, like, on one level, the just like, you know, environment navigation. Just interactivity kind of basis of just, oh, this is the the actual, like, hand-on controller mechanics of the game versus a lot of the narrative ways that, like, it is reinforced through the gameplay is being developed now where, yeah, like, within the first 20 minutes of Last of Us and Last of Us 2, you get the, like, like wow, we just killed a bunch of stuff. That was intense. But, hey, look at this fucking 1080p glorious view of a city full of lush greenery and you have a quiet moment where you both go like 
yeah, it's pretty nice. <laughs> like, <laughs> and God, especially there's like so many ways in Last of Us where the narrative and the gameplay kind of like mix with each other. You know, you're exploring an area and you think you cleared everything out and then you get like jump scared by like an extra clicker and then like things pick back up again. Uh, I know there's definitely a moment where like the relationship between Joel and Ellie is strained and like as soon as that cutscene is over, there comes to be a part where like hit the triangle button to like get Ellie to pass you a ladder and like Ellie doesn't respond at first. Yes. Cause now like something's been broken. Something's different. Great touch. Yeah. It's yeah. No, it's so That's great. You have to be a nerd. You have to be a weirdo that thinks about like, what does game mean? Yes. What is game? How do play? That like you also though yeah you well you also have to be a nerd that grew up with video games but is now older and everyone's becoming parents and this perspectives are drastically shifting from you know just like give me the biggest craziest gun I can have and I'm just gonna like mow these monsters down and that's all I want out of a video game Neil Druckmann said. Becoming a parent has drastically shifted my priorities. That's affected the types of stories I want to tell. Even with The Last of Us, I started working on it before I had kids, but I was already thinking about having kids, and that influenced what I wrote. When you have kids, you feel fear like you've never felt before and love like you've never felt before. Those kinds of feelings and the philosophy around those feelings have definitely crept into my work in The Last of Us and Uncharted. With Joel, they wanted to explore the theme of parental sacrifice. Druckmann said, ultimately, at least for Joel, it became this idea of exploring how far a father is willing to go to save his kid. Each step of the way is a greater sacrifice. At first, he's willing to put his life on the line. That's almost the easiest thing for him, where he's at. But then he's willing to put his friends on the line. Finally, it comes to putting his soul on the line when he's willing to damn the rest of humanity. When he has that final lie with Ellie, he's willing to put his relationship with Ellie on the line in order to save her. And the whole relationship is just sold so well, I feel like. I mean, it really does just hinge on that because, again, without all that shit, it is just this zombie game. Mm -hmm. And, like, we didn't necessarily need – I mean, yeah, they did a cool – they did a good job with the stealth. I felt like game flow-wise, it felt pretty good. I didn't feel, like, super punished necessarily for – you know, when I would make a mistake with the stealth in frustrating ways. Oh, there's all sorts of great things happening. The mixture of like go loud, go quiet, the mixture of different types of enemies from the runners to the clickers to the soldiers to everything happening. The crafting system's incredible where like you have alcohol and rags. Do you want to make a med kit or a Molotov? Like, you know, these are like real time gameplay decisions that affect the flow of things like no these are fucking you know these are the uncharted guys these are the jack and daxter guys these are people that have been making compelling games to the height of their abilities for decades at this point and it really is just like it feels good sometimes just to play something that is so tested and so like just every like that they have the budget to make every minute feel good yeah that it is a great experience But yeah, no, like you were saying, by this time, A, the original gaming audience had been uh, getting older. The developers themselves had families. And we were definitely entering the datification of games, which is a observed phenomenon. I think uh, it was Last of Us, the Telltale Walking Dead with Clementine, and Bioshock Infinite really all at once kind of like created this moment where the video game audience is still male, still want to feel like protectors, still want to feel like capable, cool guys. But like 
at that point, like, yeah, uh, you know, a girl in a bikini just being like, oh, my God, you saved all the aliens. Would you like to cop a feel? Just felt like gross at that point, which all these guys, you know, Naughty Dog would have been all over that shit back during the Way of the Warrior days. Like, that's just how you go from like a teenager to a man in your like mid to late thirties is just at a certain point, the things that felt like cool and sexy all of a sudden are like kind of cringe. And Jake, where can I find this save the aliens cop of feel experience you're talking about? Uh, Leisure suit, Larry four, seven and eight <laughs> um, is one. I remember uh, there's a uh, captain Gonzo saves the booba verse. Uh, <laughs> oh, that was, yeah, I that that was a turbo graphic 16. Yeah. Game. Yeah. I remember that. And uh, the limited edition <laughs> CD ROM adventure, Cool Dick Jones uh, marries his hot uh, homeroom teacher. <laughs> I love cool too. Dick Jones. <laughs> yeah, I mean, de- definitely though the zombie thing wasn't like completely arbitrary or just trying to like be a part of a hot genre. They definitely knew that this is how they could best. Oh, I'm sorry. One more sure. uh, Super Mario Sunshine. All right, please, Jake. Leave Super <laughs> Mario Sunshine out of it. But this was a, a world in which they could really develop these characters the way they wanted to develop them. And also, they just felt like the zombie genre was just saturated with games that were just kind of goofy, over the top. And besides that Walking Dead game, most of all of them were just like, here's a horde of idiots. Mow them down <laughs> with all these different weapon types, that kind of thing. Not Bruce- that there's, I mean, I still love me some Left 4 Dead too. There's nothing wrong with mowing down idiots. Bruce Straley said most of the games out there at the time were kind of cartoonish B-movie takes on it. We wanted to ground it and make it more serious. We felt like the more intimate we made the story, the more intimate we made the combat. The more we could make players feel what it would be like to have to exist as a survivor. We seized that opportunity. Druckmann followed up with that saying, even though you might have seen these conventions and other media, exploring them in a game gives you a different perspective. If you play as Joel, you play as this morally ambiguous his character and have to commit those acts yourself. I think it gives you a different perspective if you're more removed watching it or reading it. Likewise, when you embody Ellie, we knew this was an experience people hadn't felt in a game before. It might be a well-trod genre in video games, but we knew the kind of experience we delivered would feel unique. And so for inspiration, they looked towards a book called City of Thieves. This is a historical fiction about two survivors in Leningrad during World War II that ended up encountering all sorts of horrors, including a group of cannibals. Another is the work, of course, of Cormac McCarthy. I mean, if you're familiar with The Road, you would easily see some one-to-ones there. What? No. What do you mean? The what, what is? What about a world-weary man with nothing left to lose, taking care of a just a glimmer of innocence in an otherwise broken world, encountering uh, the monster that humanity had to become in order to survive in this horrible universe. What about that lends itself to The Last of Us holding? (laughs) There's also the movie No Country for Old Men, which is based on a Cormac McCarthy book. Essentially, it looked towards this movie in terms of its minimalism, its lack of music, its lack of score, its lack of, you know, its simplification of like the monster in the movie even is just this very simple, terrifying, just constantly moving towards you thing that that they really, really got a lot of inspo from. And of course, if you aren't familiar with this, and because I definitely, when I first played Last of Us and I found out like the nature of the zombies, these clickers that get taken over by a fungus, I was like, oh shit, Planet Earth. Yeah. Because I used to get high as fuck in college and watch Planet Earth. And that show, uh, amazing nature documentary series, 
At one point, it features the cordyceps fungus that takes over insects, turning them into fungal-driven zombies. It's real! Straley said there's something beautiful and intriguing about the pictures of the fungus and how colorful and delicate it was. But then you know that this is growing through every pore of that insect. We wanted that contrast between the elegance and the delicacy versus the pure anguish, pain, and disgust of being controlled by a parasite. Oh, don't talk about delicacies, Holden. You make me want some grilled portobellos Oh, now. my God. Or some kind of maybe even like baked goods, huh? Like a big old no. Like I'm like no, I'm, I'm on the fungus train, man. Give me like some porcini ravioli or something. Ooh, mm, so I unctuous, unctuous flavors. So yeah, they all. Oh god, I watched a thing. I I know this is outside of our purview, <laughs> but I watched a science video that was like scientists have now figured out how the cordyceps fungus makes ants like do the weird shit they do. And uh, it turns out it doesn't touch the brain. Oh, God. The fungus is like, uh, it's around the brain, and it's all throughout its muscle system. So the current, um, this adds horrifying implications for the world of the game. The current idea is that the ants are like, having their muscles twitch on their own while they are consciously being like, I don't want to do this. Why am I doing this? Right. This like, no, stop. So like terrifying in the world of the last of us, all the clickers and all the runners are like still inside going like, no, no, I don't want to eat my family. Why? Why? Like, it's so fucking horrifying. Nature sucks. (laughs) Nature sucks. So so bad, dude. Robots fucking rule, dude. I don't even get what people have a problem. What's the name of the book? Book two that was like super popular at the time about like nature reclaiming cities. It was the world without us. Mm. The world without us was huge in 2007. And like, I remember like people would post renders and all these like pictures online. Like, it's amazing how in my head, like, hey, it's really pretty when a bunch of trees grow where people used to be. And isn't cordyceps fungus fucking terrifying? were two dominant things yeah. in like my mental dreamscape and how The Last of Us just slammed it together totally. for this compelling narrative. Totally. But of course, this game also really lives and dies with the casting of the two lead characters. The voice acting has to be so on point to sell these like emotional moments throughout the game that are subtle often, you know? And so they really nailed it with Troy Baker and Ashley Johnson. Joel, of course, voiced by Troy, Baker started out doing radio commercials in Dallas, and then he got into VO work at Funimation, doing a slew of anime shows such as Dragon Ball Z, Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, and many, many more. And then his first non-anime big video game gig was as Matt Baker in Brothers in Arms in 2005. So after that, he just prolific, prolific work in video games it's he's he's the man him and nolan north right they're they're the they're the dudes of video game vo as part of the casting process they were actually having trouble with joel yeah. because they kept trying to cast guys that had that joel energy off mic right but like they sounded like a little too frail or like a little too friendly or just like it like they couldn't just like buy grizzled off the shelf and it wasn't until troy baker who looks you know uh, blonde hair, thin, like fashionable guy, especially back then he was a younger man. It wasn't until they just got a professional voice actor who was like, what's the character? Oh, right. Yeah, I guess I can do that. Like, like that's what worked. Well, and Troy is uh, at this time younger than Joel is supposed to be. That was a big concern as well. But yeah, exactly. He can create that. He can, he can act, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, 
That that's really what they needed an actor. Uh, Ashley Johnson voices Ellie, who started acting on television at the age of six. By the age of twelve, she had been in eight TV series, most notably Growing Pains. She got into video games largely via her animation voice acting work in the series Ben Ten Alien Force as Gwen Tennyson. She went on to voice the character in games based on the show, and kind of went from there. The actors did almost all of their work via motion capture. You can see extensive footage of this and them talking about their experience. It, it does seem very difficult to put on this kind of performance while wearing all those goofy little balls all over your body and just looking so silly. When you say the words Last of Us behind the scenes, the only thing I can think of is actors in weird pajamas yes. with ping pong balls and dots on their face. Yes. But it actually being so serious, yeah. being so committed yeah, and yeah, serious. Yeah. And it's so funny. Listen, I may not know what happened to your parents, but I know they'd want you to go on. Because I want you to live, goddammit. <laughs> and I don't care if this whole world burns around us. Huh. <laughs> is what it looks like though. Yeah. That's like their their costume is just I'm the pinchy winchy man. Right, I'm right. sorry. I tried to do a Holden thing. How would Holden do the No, the I'm pinchy. the pinchy winchy man. Look at me. Look what I can do to you <laughs> in the night. Scary, isn't it? Don't put up a fight. <laughs> Tickle monster. Like that's how I assume someone wearing those outfits would talk. Of course, yeah. Of course. The pinchy winchy man. Yeah, we all know. <laughs> so the actors did almost all of their work via mocap, as I said, and Druckmann ended up, they they ended up dropping the initial mocap director, and then Druckmann himself steps in to work directly with the actors. I actually think this is kind of how he ended up falling into working on a full-on TV show. Mm. Now he's like just literally working with actors, you know, directing scenes, uh, moving away from like what we think of as in video games as video game director, and being like just a real-ass TV, you know, movie director. Uh, there was a lot of workshopping of the characters between the two actors and the director. And Ashley Johnson even managed to strengthen the character of Ellie. Baker ends up softening the character of Joel a bit. And they find this really nice balance and uh, flow. And the chemistry is so incredible between these two. Yeah, the game wouldn't work without no. that chemistry at all. Hey, Keurig coffee drinkers. Did you know that the bold, smooth taste of Dunkin' Cold Coffee can be brewed in your Keurig, coffee maker, and enjoyed at home? Dunkin's Cold K-Cup pods were crafted to be brewed hot and enjoyed cold. And of course, they're packed with the Dunkin' flavor you crave. Brew over ice and sip in seconds. Because the home with Dunkin' is where you want to be. Making your cat happy is a number one priority. Priority number two is keeping a clean litter box. Fresh Step Outstretch Litter helps you do both. Fresh Step Outstretch Litter traps waste at the surface with less crumbles and absorbs more waste and odor compared to Fresh Step Multicat. Find Fresh Step Outstretch Litter at a store near you today. Fresh Step is a registered trademark of the Clorox Pet Products Company. Certain trademarks used under license from the Procter & Gamble Company or its affiliates. In terms of gameplay, of course, Eco still a big influence, as we discussed before, but paired with the tense action of Resident Evil 4, I think that's a really good game to reference for how the action makes you feel. A little more stealth than a Resident Evil 4, but still has that same, like, stressful, you're definitely, like, managing ammo, but you have a little bit more than you might in, like, a hardcore survival mm -hmm. zombie experience. Well, they, I mean, uh, there's videos about this, there's GDC talks about this, but uh, The Last of Us is maybe one of the most, like, naked examples of procedural difficulty because... 
so much of the game is about fights followed by rummaging. And the game in real time can take stock of your ammo, of upcoming battles, and like basically make sure you, whatever uh, generates within those cupboards and lockers and various little nooks and crannies are exactly what you need and barely anything more. So you're constantly kind of feeling like, oh man, I hope I can get through this. Whew, that took everything out of me. I better go and shank open this uh, locker and, oh, hey, I'm all my ammo's back. <laughs> Speedrunners actually abuse this a lot. I forget what the trick is, but you either, like, dump all of your ammo before the next sequence starts mm. or you, like, never fire a shot. But, like, you can very e- – like, the game is absolutely, like, just – trying to find that butter zone right. constantly behind the scenes. Yeah, that makes sense because it has this nice flow to it. And I, I didn't spend a lot of time being like, fuck, man, I don't have anything for this fight. You know what I mean? That that frustration was, wasn't was super there in my experience. But they uh, also did a really novel thing for the time that we all appreciated after how many times did people complain about escort missions leading up to this time period in video games? Between this and Bioshock Infinite, which came out around the same time, you had a buddy accompanying you, but you weren't escorting them. They weren't like someone you had to like look out for and make sure they weren't getting shot at or anything like that or constantly just dealing with this like weight on your back. Instead, they're like throwing you ammo and like telling you where dudes are to shoot and stuff like that. And they're never in harm's way. So you can just like enjoy the experience and even feel better about having someone with you as opposed to this burden you always had with, um, you know, let's just bring up Goldeneye, mm. right? As a perfect example of nightmare escort missions, which just ran <laughs> rampant just before this time for some reason, even though no one liked them, everyone complained about mm-hmm. them. Yet every game at, uh, before this had an annoying ass escort mission. I mean, Resident Evil 4, you mentioned it yeah they, yeah so so you know the intelligence of the enemy ai also was improved as well as like ellie's ai new game engines were created to improve this uh and they also did want to move away from the uncharted series in specific ways to evoke a grittier survival aesthetic including joel being clunkier in movement than those other games the absence of a cover mechanic during gunfights, the crafting system, which you could uh, you know craft stuff on the fly, but it made for more scarcity, creating more supplies in stressful situations, uh, all that good stuff. And um, it was great. And the AI as well, Ellie's smart in this way. AI was also really interesting and smart in this first game. Not as crazy as they got with Last of Us Part Two, but you know it was reacting to what was going on way more than you were used to with enemy AI at this time, mm-hmm. which was made for really fun, stressful, dynamic fights and stuff. <laughs> One big uh, influence for the art department was photos of New Orleans' uh, Lower Ninth Ward post-Hurricane Katrina, which makes a lot of sense. Nature kind of taking over that sort of look. Um, rundown buildings, everything like that. Also, shout out to composer mm. Gustavo Alfredo uh, Santaloyama. Santalaya. That's as good as we're going to get. For his haunting, minimalist, organic sounding score for the game. It's like so good. That string, that simple, haunting, str- like just guitar strumming and everything is just gets you gets you right in the mood and it's something they carried all the way through the uh the show he he was composer for the games and the tv show because they just nailed that so hard in that first game so for the record the track that you're thinking of was uh, actually uh composed and recorded on the ron rocco which is a string instrument that according to wikipedia 
is a variety of the Chirongo. Ah. That's all I know. I have no idea what it looks like or what it does. Uh, look, can we start to, please, let's talk about Cool Dick Stevens or whatever his name was. <laughs> all right, we're, we're starting to bore the audience Cool here. Dick Stevens <laughs> was the first game to ever have a uh, shit button. That's right. Yeah, he would just take a dump in his pants, and when it filled up, he would uh, eat it. All right, next up. We've- honestly, the creators of Postal 2 took one look at Cool Dick Jones, <laughs> and like I heard they just offed themselves. Yeah, they set mass. their house on fire, I believe is what happened. <laughs> they were like, God damn it. We thought we were cool. We thought we were edgy, <laughs> but Cool Dick Jones <laughs> had shown us we were just shams. So the game sold around 20 million copies initially on the PlayStation before the remaster release even it's a huge fucking hit, man. It, I mean, I remember everybody got this game when it came out. Very, very positive. We all felt the evolution of gameplay mm-hmm. narrative and all that, uh, you know, or rather story narrative in games and all that good stuff. I mean, I was blown away by some of the turns in that game. And again, like, I was definitely not into zombie shit by this point. I was fatigued on zombs. And I still just totally fell in love with this game. So fucking good. Game scholar Jennifer DeWinter sums it up well. What The Last of Us did for U.S. games is it showed that we could handle tremendous complexity and narrative structure about social issues. Neil Druckmann said, you almost never showed a kid dying in a video game. That was such a taboo thing. Oh, wow. One thing Grand Theft Auto doesn't have are kids in that world. But if we're going to tell a story about the love a parent has for their child, we have to deal with the worst fear a parent has, which is any sort of harm coming to their child. And realize that through and realize that through that opening sequence. Absolutely. I mean, establishing that was so crazy. That was such an insane opening. I cried. I legit cried. I am an adult man. I played that segment for the first time, and it hit me so hard in a way I was not ready for. Yeah. He- even knowing it was what was happening, like, even knowing full well when the game started, I'm like, oh, this is the little girl that's going to fucking die. And when it finally happened, I was choked up. Uh, I also should know, uh, just to, like, uh, to acknowledge that, like, the PlayStation 3 was a weird little console. Yes. Like, you know, this was the era where Xbox 360 was kind of, uh, I don't know if it officially is outsold. It kind of passed hands back and forth a little bit. But, like, first-party PlayStation games were in a little bit of a weird se- Like, people didn't care that much about Infamous 2 or PlayStation All-Star Battle or any of that stuff. Uh, the God of War series has gotten had gotten a little long in the tooth by that point. And uh, The Last of Us was absolutely a killer app for PlayStation 3 owners. It showed off what the console was capable of better than any crossover game because, uh, as we've mentioned, the hardware on the PlayStation 3 was a finicky little monster, and like it took a lot of hard work to actually get that performance out of it. Yeah, I'm trying to remember now. I think I did initially play it on PS3, but I definitely also remember getting it on the PS4 when it came out. I mean, that might have been the first time I played it. It came out so close to the end of yeah. the PlayStation 3's lifespan that like one of the, the easiest moves was to just like re-release it for the PS4 when it came out. Totally, totally. Yeah, that was one of the first games I know I got along with Bloodborne. Uh, so let's move into Last of Us Part 2. A few years pass. We all, uh, Last of Us becomes real. Mm-hmm. We all go through this uh, worldwide pandemic. It's insane. This fucking game comes out right in the middle Soldiers, of it. Soldiers uh, walk through the streets and put a, like a device on my neck and it beeps red or, or green 
and they decide whether or not to shoot me in the head at that exact instant. This weird fungus guy lives in my closet and uh, he tries to eat me once a week and I just push him back into the closet. You know what I mean? It's like a whole, and I'm like, this is a metaphor for something. But it's it wasn't like, it wasn't a cordyceps thing. He just glued a bunch of like uh, pizza, like canned mushroom, like pizza, like shitty New York pizza mushrooms on his body. Yeah, you met Fungal Frank. <laughs> Yeah, I, I miss that guy. I miss New York, you know? I mean, just that you can't have that out here in L.A., you know? It's, it doesn't exist. I mean, he sublet my apartment before I'm after uh, after I moved. He really did me a solid. Yeah, yeah. Well, that was the thing, but he'd always try to pay me and just cutting fungus <laughs> off of his body. You know what I mean? I was just like, this is not currency, my friend. This doesn't give me anything. This gives me nothing. Every single time I'd be like, you know what, Fungal Frank, you're a good guy. I don't care what people say. And he'd just like whisper, you cannot kill me in a way that matters. <laughs> yeah, and then he'd also say, what do they say? And I was like, well, come on, man. I'm not going to tell you what they fucking say, dude. I don't want to tell you. Know, I don't want to burst your uh, your whole body. There's, they're in the comments, though. I'll just say that. Burst your button mushroom. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. We've got uh, Last of Us Part Two, the sequel. Neil Druckmann returns to write and direct it. Bruce Straley, uh, I believe, moves uh, uh, leaves Naughty Dog by this point, mm-hmm. and so instead, no, this is the Druckmann show now. Yeah, and instead, he works with Hallie Gross on the script, and she is best known for her work on the HBO show Westworld. He co-directed with Anthony Newman and Kurt Marginu. And Newman did melee combat design for the first game. Uh, Marginot uh, directed Uncharted Lost Legacy. And that makes a lot of sense because Uncharted Lost Legacy, which is amazing, by the way. I don't think enough people played that game. That was like the spinoff game that came out, I think, after Uncharted 4, I think. Or maybe... This wasn't the Vita game, right? No. No, this was... I believe believe this is the correct game. This was like a small Uncharted experience that was in like a small open world, which is very much mirrored in uh, Last of Us Part Two. Also features small open worlds Mm -hmm. where you can go explore and, you know, there's also very linear parts of the game, but... It had that in it, and I love a small open world, and I loved how they did that in Uncharted, and I really enjoyed how they did that in Last of Us Part Two. Hallie and Druckmann landed on a revenge story, something intense in Druckmann's mind, as justice, retribution, and conflict were at the forefront of his childhood in Israel. I mean, he has, uh, in interviews, said that the influence for the change of tone and uh, philosophical subject matter was... Uh, inspired by watching a clash between uh, IDF soldiers and Palestinian uh, fighters. So it was, uh, yeah. I, and honestly, it's it's not even subtext, man. Like that whole thing is, the Last of Us Part Two is absolutely entwined with a lot of the emotions and and uh, realities of kind of trying to square the circle of having your life defined by this generational hatred. And it's like, especially now, honestly, I, again, I joked about it before. I had a really rough time with these games and this subject matter, uh, because it's not that far past the surface. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those feelings are at the forefront now. It's a lot. Yeah, it is. This whole game's a lot. Very, very much a lot. Oh God. Yeah. No, even what's, what's the name of the, the creepy people in last of us Two? the whistle people. You know yes, what I'm talking yes, about. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, the Seraphites, like the way that the Seraphites are portrayed as like kind of these unknowable fanatics and how uh, the true kind of resu- like 
there's even a, a line where Abby, the antagonist of the game, is like, we had to kill him. They threw rocks at us. Like, it's not subtle yeah. what they are addressing in this game for a lot of the political intrigue. Totally, totally, totally. Uh, 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 cool Dick Jones, fun time, comedy podcast, wackity schmackity. Fun Guy Frank meets Cool Dick Jones. They both uh, eat each other's <laughs> the, dicks off their bodies. The team of we've been waiting for. <laughs> but they also get entwined in a dark revenge tale, Jake. Oh, and God. Yes, Fungal Frank and Cool Dick Jones, they both end up. Oh, my God. God, when killing each did, other in, in out of vengeance, it's very sad. When you start to play as Cool Dick Jones after being Fungal Frank in the first half of the game, <laughs> I was jaw I was like, "Why am I still playing this very? <laughs> it's like beat him and eat him, but just with this fungus guy. You know, it was a nightmare. It's two, the graphics are three bit. Yes. I, I remembered it was three bit graphics, Atari level. Uh, but anyways. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Hallie was drawn to the so strong female characters that Druckmann had in mind for the story. Druckmann needed someone who could write comedy and, more importantly, romance. And Hallie had that in spades. And is uh, essentially to, they have a fun, like, di dynamic together. Hallie's the charismatic, charming one. She's like the fun, outgoing, more vocal <laughs> of the two. Druckmann is the brooding, quiet one. And they offset each other really well and made for a really good team getting into it together and they wanted to show of course the dark side of revenge and the traumatic side of it uh, Neil Druckmann said we can make you experience this thirst for revenge this for thirst for retribution and having you actually like commit the acts of finding it and then showing you the other side to make you regret it as Jake alluded to earlier with the joke about uh, fungal Frank and <laughs> cold dick Jones to make you feel dirty for everything you've done in the game making you realize I'm actually the villain of the story Thanks. I really want to feel dirty while yeah. I'm playing my fun video game. But it, it it did a great job of it. And uh it was just the whole experience was so it really brings me back to a very dark time in everybody's life. Mm -hmm. But like I remember when I played this game, like pandemic had just so fully set in yeah. and was so like semi-permanent by that point. Imagine all the people, <laughs> Jake. If we sing this, we'll heal everybody mm -hmm. who's listening right now. And it had just become such a dead-end kind of life for everybody and, like, with no end in sight. And, yeah, this really just, like, landed with such a thud in everybody's guts who played it, I think, at this time. And a lot of people didn't play it for that exact reason. They were like, I literally can't handle this right now. Like, I have to go play, you know, Katamari Damacy or something and, like... <laughs> Just not, or, or Animal Crossing actually was the better example for the oh, time. Not only, it's like, not only that, but like, even just the world of The Last of Us where like, the fireflies are long dead, uh -huh. like hope is lost. Like for me, there was a little bit of like, God, I'm sorry, don't yell at me. There was a lot of like post Bernie malaise where it was mm. like, well, we tried. Right. Well, we tried and it didn't work out. And now we just got to keep on living in the shit world. Right. Uh, this also from Druckmann. We tried to deconstruct Ellie's relationship with violence versus Joel's relationship with violence. With Joel, it's very practical and pragmatic. He doesn't find much pleasure or hatred in killing. He is more indifferent. It's just a function of how he survives. With Ellie, Malcolm Gladwell talks about this. It's the concept of the culture of honor. Her ego is so intertwined with being wrong, and she has to make it right. And she believes she can't come to rest until she makes it right. Uh, Hallie Gross is a victim of 
trauma herself. She's had a long history of dealing with like PTSD from stuff in her life. Very, very into like processing these sorts of things and really wanted to portray characters dealing with and rising up out of that in a game. And so this game, yes, is very much outside of revenge. It's also about processing trauma. And the things that we do to cope, the things that we do to carry on with our lives. Fun, right? Yeah. And then... <laughs> Hold also, X to do something. Yeah. Five seconds later. Why did you do that? Also, yeah. Why did you do that? Also, the uh, the <laughs> dual narrative in the game was largely inspired by The Godfather Part Two, which I think is really cool. The kind of cutting back and forth. I will also say, too, they really hit home... Much more the reality of killing, and I alluded to this before, but we've got to repeat it. This is one of the most striking things about the game. When you sneak into a camp and you start taking people out, they'll literally, the other, the AI will like <laughs> fully react to this and start freaking out that there's some horrific murderer who's in their camp killing their loved ones and scream about how much they love this person that you've hurt. Or like a dog too. Like mm-hmm. when you have to take out dogs, and they're like, "Fluffers, no, you were the only thing that I cared about." You know, what I mean, people yeah. just like, just, "Oh, fuck my legs, man, my fucking leg." You know what I mean? Everyone's like, "What's going on? What's wrong, Jerry? Jerry, you were the best, man. I didn't know, man." You know what I mean? And it just is so. And all you're doing, by the way, this whole time is you're like in stealth mode. Mm-hmm. You're just like crouched behind a table. Yeah, at just just hearing all of this and just being like, "Fuck, fuck, what am I doing?" Like it really was, maybe like not mentally the best for me at the time. Who knows? But it was really striking and effective. I'll tell you that fucking much. And such the opposite of Uncharted, right? Yeah. Where you're just mowing everybody down and life means nothing. Well, that was the thing about Uncharted that everybody would keep pointing out is that in Uncharted you were just a fucking death dealer you were just like killing thousands of guys in theory because they stole an orb you wanted like right right so it's it's almost like they they turned the um the dial the opposite direction a little too hard maybe yeah totally and it's just yeah and uncharted they'd be like thank you for killing me you know what (laughs) i mean they would like just they would hand you gifts for doing it yeah, it was totally ridiculous. I uh, There was a demon in me. You actually are doing it. I'm free now. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. I will go to the ghost plane now. <laughs> Valhalla awaits. Thank you, good sir. <laughs> uh, and so, yeah, it really was harrowing. And uh, added to the cast, along with Troy Baker and Ashley Johnson, are Shannon Woodward as Dina, Ellie's girlfriend, who does a wonderful job, mm. and Jeffrey Pierce as Joel's brother, Tommy. Also, I will say, oh, and I didn't put the antagonist name who you play as and kind of get Abby. Abby. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. She's great too. You know, I think the strong female characters too, of course, the fucking fuckface brigade came out at this time as well. We do have to acknowledge that that was obnoxious as hell. That was like, what? Big strong woman makes me scared and I want, but it was a white guy. But it's been white guys this whole time. You know what I mean? It was just like it's it's fine. They can be women. Holden, Holden, you're doing a disservice. You're doing a disservice. The guys that said those things put those thoughts in hour long YouTube videos. That yes, reduced to yeah, fifty year old man can crouch walk for a million hours without fucking up his knees. But a lady who is extremely athletic and has a muscular build. Now you've lost me. <laughs> Yeah, I'm still obsessed with how much crouch walking happens. All in All right, games. bring on the it's knee research. Holding. 
the glutes. I mean, dear God, the amount of squats Joel must have done every day to prepare for his gun running activities. <laughs> I mean, that's true. I mean, Troy Baker did have to mocap all that. You know what I mean? So I would love to sit here. That'd be so funny. We're 30 minutes into an interview and Troy's just like, I'm sorry, guys. Can we get off the knee <laughs> questions? I mean, I am just so done with this interview. You know what I mean? It's an uncanny amount of crouch walking. <laughs> I just, it's really so, fu- it's a lot. It's too much. There are definitely technical improvements, and they even managed to do a decent job capturing one of the more difficult things in a video game. They capture a robot person kiss. Mm. That's right. It's very hard to get that. You know, whenever you've seen kissing in, you know, CG rendered video game cutscenes, it's always awkward as fuck. <laughs> this is how in depth they had to go to try to get a realistic looking kiss. This is from a GQ article. There are multiple complicated techniques involved. One method has the actors using the head-mounted cameras to brush their faces past one another, mouthing a kiss next to each other's ears. Another has them doing a real kiss sans headgear to capture movement of their bodies. And then the embarrassing part. Both actors stood alone on the silent stage, mouthing into the air. Wow. All of this will still need months of work back at the studio, and it's just a minute-long scene of a 30-hour story. Uh, and so, yeah, I thought that was insane. But it is true. The kiss is like the final frontier of, like, CG render cutscene shit. Oh, it is God, so yeah. hard to get a, a, re- no, a kiss. No, please. We're, looks- we're children of the PlayStation N64 PS2 GameCube era. So many games were just completely knocked out of the immersion because it's like, and now to kiss. And it's just like two mannequins bumping against each other. Except I will say shout out to Sonic 07 when Sonic kissed that human woman. <laughs> They nailed it in that one, and you should definitely watch that cutscene right now. And shout out to Cool Dick Jones. Uh, That game used a cutting-edge version of the Unreal Engine to have fully controllable tongues during the the QuickTime events. And fuck you, Fungal Frank, dude. I don't (laughs) owe you nothing, bro. I fucking helped you out. You lived in my closet. Quit sending me letters asking me to fucking give you money for you staying at my place. It makes no sense, dude. Oh, you will see what's in spore for you when you thwart Fungal Frank. God, I hate his mini puns. His mini <laughs> mushroom puns. Uh, so the, the the also the attention to detail in the tech is insane. I mean, we were looking at the uh, hose. There's tech. at least a half dozen GDC talks that break it's, down everything. It's amazing. Like, can you explain some of the just the, the impressive shit? Uh, going on in this game. Oh, I mean, the lighting system that was incorporated uh, before just off-the-shelf ray tracing was uh, a thing. The uh, Just the rope physics during some of the uh, puzzles. The rope it, shit is, cra- is legit crazy. That's like, like, that's, there was no reason to go that hard on the rope physics, but that's a thing. Uh, the water physics when you're, uh, when you're going through the reflections. And again, all this stuff they had to do Without an off the shelf, you know, they're working on their own engine. They're working on usually novel hardware. Uh, Once we got to the PS4, PS5 era, it's a little bit easier because both of those are essentially just lockdown computers. But like, then you're still working with like a set amount of horsepower and you have to do effects and various things that like don't. That like to make it feel like you're playing something on a much more expensive machine. Yeah. It's just a, yeah, no, every single pixel in those games have more work put into it than I've put into this podcast. Yeah. It's wild. Well, 
here's here's a great uh, here's here's a great uh, little factoid that might lead you to realize like how insane the tech is. It took over five years, a core team of three hundred fifty people to complete it, but a total of two thousand one hundred sixty nine developers across fourteen studios worked on the game as well. An insane effort. This was wild, and it really does show. Mm-hmm. It really is a naughty dog first party, you know, exclusive. It, it PlayStation exclusive. It is just that triple A. Absolute chef's kiss in terms of tech and all that stuff. As long as you can get, as long as your emotional state can <laughs> handle it, and uh, yeah, of course, uh, COVID affected a lot of the game development, and um, uh, there's definitely a lot of remote work happening near the end, and definitely articles coming out about how the crunch was was borderline um, abusive. <laughs> I had a icky moment watching one of the behind the scenes documentaries put out by PlayStation official YouTube channel and they got to the crunch thing and there was just a bunch of dead eye developers being like, yeah, man, no, the crunch is actually the fun part for me because that's how you know the game's going to get real good or like. <laughs> You know, that's uh, if uh, I often say making video games is the same as playing video games and crunch is just that big boss fight Ah. at the end. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm just like, hmm. um, Or you could just like see your family and take care of your body and mind. That's also an option. All right. Let's get into the TV show to finish things out. The game was originally in the works for a movie adaptation back in 2014 with Druckmann writing the screenplay. By 2016, the project was floundering, and it eventually fell off completely. In 2018, Craig Mazin was brought in by PlayStation Productions to see if he'd be interested in adapting any of the games. And what, and, and Mazin wondered, what, why is Last of Us being looked at as a film instead of for television? It's, it's way more of a TV show. They just it was like, hey, who else is a giant bummer? The Chernobyl guy. Exactly. That's so Mazin did the HBO miniseries Chernobyl. So perfect for this. Also a laugh riot. Yes. Also a hilarious and and wackadoo uh, fun time. Yeah, he wrote, directed, and produced it. It is incredible, though. It is an incredible and harrowing work. And Mason met with Druckmann a week after he was brought in by Sony, and uh, they pitched the show to HBO like very soon after that. Mm-hmm. And things moved very quickly for this. Uh, HBO was down, not super familiar with the game, the head dude or lady, but um, still they greenlighted, they trust Mason, all that good stuff. Mason said, We wanted to at least acknowledge that everybody knows about pandemics. <laughs> that wasn't the case when Neil made the game in 2013. And we're all epidemiologists now, we're all scientists, we all understand how these things work. We wanted to acknowledge that we were aware of that. So, yeah, as Whereas the second game came out in the middle of pandemic, the show kind of felt more like us processing what had happened, Mm. us dealing with like our own true, like our own version of this in real life, you know, minus the clickers or whatever. And, <laughs> and, and so there was a lot more no, resonance. In the pandemic, we had the clangers yeah. who were the people that stood outside their window banging pots and pans oh my for God. nobody in particular. Yeah, we so had those. Oh my God, I lived right by a hospital. So yeah, it was every day around <laughs> what, four o'clock or six o'clock or whatever. Um, but in terms of differentiations from the game, a big one was how the fungus works. So there's no spores in this one, no gas masks. Instead, it's tendrils that go from host to host. And, and that's kind of nasty. The really cool concept was that they were all unified as one consciousness mm. as this fungal network. 
but also they get away from the constant killing in the game. According to Mason, you have to kill a lot of people in that video game, but for us, violence was quite serious, and we didn't want to numb people to it. And so when enemies come, it was important for us to ask the question, well, why are they enemies? What do they want? They're not just evil people. From their point of view, this all makes sense, and it's justifiable, and that was an interesting thing to explore. For the roles of Joel and Ellie, they cast Pedro Pascal and Bella Ramsey. Pascal doesn't need much of an introduction. He uh, became a household name through shows like this one, as well as Game of Thrones and The Mandalorian. Ramsey also started off in Game of Thrones as Leanna Mormont, and she is such a standout. Actually, they are such a standout, I'm Mm. pretty sure. Um, They are uh, this young kind of like royalty character, in the show, and I remember everybody being very impressed with this young actor's work that was watching Game of Thrones at the time. Marzen said, I was directing that episode when they come together for the first time, and I just remember sitting back in my chair going, we're going to be okay. They just had something. And the chemistry that they have both on and off set is remarkable. They are in love with each other in the most beautiful way. They take care of each other. I think that Bella looks up to Pedro, and I think Pedro looks up to Bella. And they both look out for each other, and they advocate for each other. And I've seen, actually, footage of this. They have this, like, incredibly sweet relationship in, like, the press tour stuff that you is just palpable, that they really, really give a, a big shit about each other. And, you know, I think Pedro wants to protect them very much so as this young actor. I mean, when I saw in the behind the scenes news that Pedro Pascal was seen pushing dumpsters around to help her reach higher ledges, <laughs> I was like, God damn, they got the right cast for this. But it was weird when he pushed the triangle button, which I don't even understand <laughs> how that happened. And Bella just sort of was, just didn't respond at first. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I was like, oh, maybe there is some issues. <laughs> maybe there's some problems there. The show released in 2023 with season oh, two. Oh, and there was that thing where like uh, she had a sprained ankle on set and Pedro Pascal uh, killed every doctor in the, <laughs> in the urgent that care. That was crazy. I can't believe. <laughs> and carried her out. Yeah. That was, I was like, damn, he is taking his character serious. That was intense. Yeah, the show released in 2023. Season two is around the corner. Uh, for which they brought in Hallie Gross as well, by the way. So Hallie Gross joining for season two. Uh, around the corner, I, I actually, I looked it up. It's set to release at the end of 2024, beginning of 2025. So maybe not super around the corner. Maybe that's inaccurate, though, but because that feels so far away. But, you know, Lord knows with these I mean, it's not like there's multiple strikes happening. Yeah. Or- oh, right. Oh, yeah, of course. It was a big hit, especially with the strength of the third episode. Long, long time. Just look. Just... Mm-hmm. Even if you don't care about any of this, if you, it's crazy you got all the way through this episode if you don't give a shit about any of this, but definitely just watch the third episode of The Last of Us TV show. Just do it. It's so good. It's one of the best episodes of TV like ever. It's a standalone. You don't need to know anything about the overall story. You don't need to know anything about the video games. It works no matter what. Just watch it. It is so impressive, in my opinion. And, 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 you know, many people agree. I'm not the first person who said this. But yes, uh, it's a standalone episode about Bill and Frank, two men who find each other in the midst of the downfall of civilization and fall in love. It stars Nick Offerman and Murray Bartlett. Mason said, I think the Bill and Frank relationship ultimately functioned as this interesting thematic core where you can see every relationship between two people in the show. It keeps circling what it means to be somebody that loves outward and somebody who loves inward. What it means to protect and what it means to risk. 
It just felt like it was a good chance to do that stuff and to do it in a place where we wouldn't be breaking anything from the game. It just felt safe. That's all I got for this subject. I I I love the quality is so good. It, it the quality is so good. It's like painful yes. to enjoy a lot of this stuff, and you still I'm compelled to do it because it's so fucking good. Really cannot stress enough how I just genuinely did not need this topic <laughs> and this franchise at this moment in my life. <laughs> yeah, it's a rough one, but I love it, and I hope you enjoyed this as well. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, if you'd like to support us further, Patreon.com forward slash Whisper. We've got bonus episodes every single week for just $5 a month. And at $15 a month, you can join us on our Sunday study session every Sunday. Of course, uh, I played some Last of Us and we hung out and uh, it was an awesome time this last time. So it's a good time over there. Good crew. Check me out. Twitch.tv forward slash Holtonators Ho. Twitch.tv forward slash Holtonators Ho. I'm putting out... Uh, I'm. I'm doing. I'm streaming most uh, what four days a week, and there's always bonus streams as well. So check it out on there. And Jake, uh, follow me on Twitter at best Jake Young. Follow me on Instagram at best Jake Young. Follow me on Threads at best Jake Young. And uh, if you're hankering for a fun time over on Twitch, go to twitch.tv slash Puppet Jared. Thursday nights is when I do my amazing cartoon dumpster stream where we watch old weird usually uh, unspeakably terrible cartoons from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s, hosted by my little VTuber avatar, Puppet Jared. It's a grand old time. If you like the show, I think you'll enjoy it. Check it out. Thursday nights, twitch.tv slash Puppet Jared. Hell yeah. And always remember, never stop bruising. And keep on whizzing. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Dunkin' Cold Coffee can be brewed at home in your Keurig coffee maker with Dunkin' Cold K-Cup Pods. Just brew it hot over ice and enjoy flavor that's crafted to serve cold. The home with Dunkin' is where you want to be. Sometimes your cat can be a mystery, like when they get so attached to certain cardboard boxes. <laughs> but when you use Fresh Step Cat Litter, there's no question that you're making your cat happy thanks to amazing odor control. Fresh Step clumping cat litters prevent stinky crumbles and make scooping easy by locking in liquid and odor immediately. That means you can keep your house clean and your bond strong. There's no mystery here. Find Fresh Step Cat Litter at a store near you. Fresh Step is a registered trademark of the Clorox Pet Products Company. Certain trademarks used under license from the Procter & Gamble Company or its affiliates.